Friday, June 1st, 2021, episode number 189. It's the day of the Dairyland Classic. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're uh, we're not going to be on site doing it. We're recording this doing it early because we're going to be on site doing it today. At the Dairyland Classic. Yeah. My first time, your first time ever to be there. Yeah. And and we're going to cover it a little bit. I'm not going to say cover it. We're going to provide content on Left Out. Absolutely. Which is covering it to some extent. But yeah, when you say you're covering a race, people are like, oh, I'm going to see every second of it. Nope. That's that's not not what what we do do on Left Out. Not what we do. We give you a sense of feeling like you're there. And uh, if that's covering the broadcast, then I don't know. It's not. It's not what we do. Exactly. Um, we we give interviews in the pits. We talk to everybody and anybody involved, fans, friends of fans, oh whatever. We'll talk to anybody. We'll give you a feel like you're there, but we will not be covering it as a broadcast. Correct. But did you see earlier in the week on Tuesday yeah. the email went out? The last little uh, blurb. About the Dairyland Classic, Burp. mentioned us as left out. We'll be on hand giving fans a taste of what makes the Dairyland Classic so special. You can track them on Facebook and if you're unable to make it to the race on Friday. So that's really cool. Bert's awesome, and uh, I cannot wait to be there. And there's going to be some fast competition up there for sure. And he just list, list a few of the pros that are coming. Yeah. All the Turner Racing Hondas will be there. Nice. Uh, Wiles, Zabala. And Bruner is going to be there. Mm-hmm. He also mentioned that Max Whale, who won the last race at Joliet, the last national is going to be there. Yeah. As well as, of course, Morgan Mishler is going to be there. And uh, let me see. One more guy. Oh, yeah. Number one on the Essence and Yamaha, Dallas Daniels what? is going to be there. I and that's just it. people in the pro class. So uh, earlier in the week, there was eight brakeless bikes already entered. There was already 12 vintage bikes entered, 13 hooligans. And at the time, there was 14 pro-ams, which is what he calls the pro class. There's a big money. Uh uh, Jim Sumner Dash for Cash. It's got a big purse already. I'm actually thinking about donating that Dash for Cash because I I knew as a rider what that meant to get that extra money, mm-hmm. and I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do it. I think I'll just throw it in there uh, on behalf of Off the Groove. Let's do it live as as we're there um, walking around. Right. You could just throw them like the thousand dollars or whatever. You could just whip out of your pocket <laughs> and just be like, make it rain. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't make that much money. Oh, you're not going to drop maybe, a thousand? Did I just, did I, did I, what? Maybe a few less zeros. <laughs> I'm kidding. $10. Here's $10. <laughs> um, Here is a $1 bill. It's going it's gonna to be a blast, man. I've been talking to Sumner on, on you know, uh, online for a while, and it's finally going to work out this year. Couldn't be more excited, and uh, I think that seeing our name in that press release is one of the coolest things uh that i've been a part of so that's kind of that's i don't know super special for me so i know you see your name in press releases all the time so it's not a big deal but um it it is a big deal it's something brand new to us it's not even a thing yet we started in march but we're given a little feel of what people can't get unless they go to a race and a lot of people can't travel i know they're just opening up some you know air more more and more airplanes more and more businesses and stuff like that are opening up yeah we're gonna keep doing it just we didn't do it because of covid and stuff like that we right. just want to give a different feel because we do get to go or at least i do and sometimes you do get mm-hmm. to go to places at the racetrack that a lot of people aren't allowed to so kind of showing some behind the scenes stuff and uh you know what happens when you pull up to the pit gate to get in just a few examples but um yeah we're gonna keep it going yeah it's just the beginning of it too man it's uh, this year is all about collecting the content and uh it, the second half of the year is going to be about making stuff with that and showing people what we can do with that and hopefully we'll get a lot more for next year and that it just builds and, and builds and builds so since you're here oh boy. and since the road race is the next two days we're gonna go to road america as well and do moto america and we got some permission We've been granted some permission to go where we want, except for onto the racetrack, which that is 1,000% okay. I'm still going to try to make that happen, though. What are you going to get on the racetrack for? Dude, I have, I can, I am the king of getting into places and finding ways. No, no, hold on. I'm you not going to do the it king of that. unapproved. You, hold on. But I will you, get approved. You know, the king, you know who the king of getting everywhere is? That's who? my twin brother, Brad. Yeah, that's Brad. a good point. Brad can do Brad that. gets everywhere. Yeah. No matter who, I don't. I don't know. I don't I remember. I, I don't know if my dad taught him that, but I came man, to see you did. in the booth at Daytona, and he's just hanging out with the wife in the in the yeah, in the announcer tower. Right I'm like, there. How, yep. but, but, like, yeah. what are you doing up here? Well, maybe yeah. we should bring uh-huh. him as well, and then he can just help us get into <laughs> everything we need to get into. Brad, if you're listening, come on, son, come with us. Um, he's not too far from there, is he? 
He's over in Minnesota. Well, yeah. he's got he's got the new job with Seafoam, so he mm. could be traveling somewhere That's else. So I'm not sure where he's at right now. But uh, Seafoam. Speaking, speaking of Seafoam, they put up some extra money at the Steve Nace race for they the Seafoam did. singles dash for cash. I saw that. I saw that. That's yeah. good stuff. Good That's to see them cool. uh, throwing some money and giving it to these riders too for that dash for cash. That's yep. awesome. Yep, exactly. It was pretty cool. So uh, I had a busy weekend. I know you did too. Uh, you were in Denver. Uh, just outside Denver at uh, Thunder, the other Thunder Valley, Lakewood, Colorado. I think it's in. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was a good well, time. What I say that because Donnie Bargeman used to call the PRTT Thunder Valley because yeah. you go down into a valley and that's where the racetrack is. So yep. I call it the other Thunder Valley. You know, yeah. it's it's. I definitely experienced the right one first when I went to uh, Peoria. So I like it. Yeah, I like it. But. It's right. pretty cool out there, man. Colorado is just beautiful. And I, I could spend a week there just enjoying everything that's out there. It's literally like five, ten minutes. The track is five, ten minutes from Red Rocks Amphitheater. Um, mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. I mean, just walking through that theater is pretty badass. Um, but did you, did you sleep in your car? I did not sleep in my car. Why? Okay. Why? Well, last, last time I talked to you on Saturday night, as I left Terre Haute and was driving to Wisconsin, you're in your car because you couldn't get your phone to charge in your room. So you're sitting in your car. So I just making sure that you actually went to your hotel room. I did. Um, yeah, those, those, man, those trips are like, I get out of work around five or six. I usually don't get into the place until after midnight, one o'clock. And then I'm working for two hours when I get there to build the show. Um, for the international broadcast, and then uh, and then uh, I'm waking up at like six, seven o'clock, driving an hour to the track and doing it all, and working a whole full day at the track. So I don't really get to enjoy the places I go to f- for the most part. I usually try to spend a day on the back end to the nice places, but eh, it's all right. I, I get to get my two wheel fixed. And dude, what a hell of a weekend <clears throat> this weekend! You see, Roxanne yeah. go one one. That's incredible. Yeah. I you know. They they pretty much everybody's wrote him off for outdoors and yep. just considered him just a supercross guy. Yeah, and he's on it right now. He is. Um, and I was I was surprised that Tomac yeah wasn't up front. That's his home track, and he should be doing good with the altitude. and And there's a lot of rumors swirling around him leaving the the green company and going yeah. to a blue company. But uh, he's been with green since he was a little kid. Yeah, I mean a little kid. He hasn't left, and that's that's amazing, you know. But. Yeah. He's definitely something's going on that he's not happy about. Yeah, I'm with you. And AC is uh, doing AC things. I, I don't know what happened there. I, he think that uh, he kind of takes himself he's out not, on some of these races, and I, I, he's he got does. this talent. He, he still got third. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. But, but, As yeah, yeah, I mean, he's still kicking ass. Yeah. But like, um, yep. when, once he dials it in, he's going to just dominate in, in, this, in that series. I think in the next couple of years, if not later this year. So we'll see how that pans out. But you want to get back to flat track? Yeah, let's talk about my last weekend. How about yeah, that? Yeah, let's hear that. Wow, yeah. Terre Haute was good. It, it was. I was scared at first because mm-hmm. it's it's a race car track. They've got race car track building and prep people, so mm-hmm. it looked great right before practice. Here comes the water truck. I'm like, what what's going on? And then he sprayed a little here, sprayed a little there, and I'm like, oh no, oh boy. So it was. It, it scared me for a little bit, but yeah. it came around. It took a little while, so we got started late took a little while we still got practice in we got heat races in um and then you never know i know steve it was an all-star race it was a steve nace race no it was it was good racing uh dallas daniels was there put on a good show uh maxwell won the dash for cash daniels won the two uh uh, singles main events and then trent lowe uh raced one of his uh, i think it's a twin that his dad actually rode once or twice um and won the twins class and it paid like 1250 bucks what I was, I was proud of Trent. Nice. You know, he looked really comfortable, looked really good. Our, our guy, Casey Cisco, uh, yes. ran up near the front. Uh, I think he got third. There was only five or six twins, but which was sad, but he still got some seat time, mm-hmm. valuable seat time. And Trent Lowe did the same thing because uh, at the Springfield Mile, the singles aren't running on the mile track. So Trent was just kind of shaking out the cobwebs of this motorcycle, and he's going to be riding uh, a twin at the Springfield Mile. So nice. that got me thinking – how many other guys are going to do that, you know, that, that normally ride singles. So we might see a lot more riders in that production twins class at the Springfield mile, which is of course not until Labor Day, but yeah, well, that's a good uh, little sneak peek. Yeah. That's a yeah, good point. Definitely a good thing. Yeah. And, and we talk about it all the time, how, you know, so going to these local races, even if there isn't a huge, like, um, 
you know, a bunch of the, the competition you're racing at nationals, going and getting a win and, you know, running fast is, is a confidence feels booster. Feels good. Yeah, and it feels good Absolutely. if you're somebody like Trent yep. Lowe. So getting back to watching him racing on nationals, I'll, I'll be eager to see how that, you know, carries over back when he's racing against the the rest yep. of the pros. Um, so, yeah, you want to get into this week? This week's kind of special. No, man. I'm not done. Oh, you I'm still got done. more? That's right. Yes. That's so right. I get I get done, yes. walk back to the pit area, get paid, change some clothes, hop in the car and drive four and a half hours, four hours and 45 minutes, all the way up to Elkhorn, Wisconsin. That's right. And uh, got here in the middle of the night, got a couple hours of sleep and got to the track. And I didn't know what to expect. This guy, I didn't know the guy from Adam got a hold of me on Instagram, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, reached out to me. So I get there and getting everything set up. And I'm watching the pits unload and stuff like that. I go to the announcing tower. There's two other announcers. So that kind of blew me away. I'm like, okay, why am I here? <laughs> and, uh, on the one side of the announcing tower, there was a production team, and all I did was announce for the live streaming that was streamed out through Harley-Davidson Museum, through the American Motorcyclist Museum, uh, and a couple other pages, and they shared it, and it was cool. They treated me like a celebrity. Because you are. I'm, no, I'm just an announcer, dude. I just, I'm just a motorcycle announcer that knows about know, flat tracks. So kind of a big deal. It, it was pretty cool, and uh, when that was done, I talked to some more people after we got done. We finally got out of there, and uh, and then I ran into a fan that I met at Minneapolis at the Minnesota Mile, and him, and we called his wife on speakerphone. I, I started talking. <laughs> she knew who I was. She said, we listen to you every day, dude. I'm like, all right. That's awesome. They offered a place for us to stay this what? weekend coming up for free right near the track so uh that's good we got a hookup for that yeah absolutely so (laughs) it's uh todd todd and lucy and we'll just leave it first names but uh, they've offered us a place to stay up there near uh near the racetrack this weekend that's amazing i'm 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 excited i mean how cool is that it's insane it's really cool though it's thank you so much looking forward to it looking forward to meeting you guys and uh coming to check it out yeah so uh so this this week's guest yeah. has also been suggested by several people several including people. including evan sin yep i want to throw his name out there with the fast and left he's been wanting us to have this guy on for a long time we're we gonna call him up no what do you mean you didn't even say who it is yet oh want to say who it is first hey we don't have to do you want to call him up i want to call him up and get him on the get him on the podcast i'm not calling anybody anymore what do you want me to say? Joining um, us on the podcast. So this week's interview, before we get into it, is Bill Snyder. The Bill Snyder. Bull Taco Bill. The, the, oh, not the Kansas State football coach? No. no. We tried to oh. get him, but uh, he was too busy, so we figured we'd talk to a flat track legend instead. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, this guy's he's won a few races, I think. He's raced even more races than he's won. Um, but yeah, he's, of course. he's a legend there in Kansas, right? All the United States, probably, to be, <laughs> be fair. He's a legend in his own mind, is what Graham says. Cody says, episode 189, and we forgot how to intro people. Um, <laughs> I love it, dude. It's our first day, Cody. Busting chops. It's our chops. first day. We know how to intro. We're just trying to mix it up because Ricky, we're trying, Ricky we're Rackman, change it up. Ricky Rackman has some feedback. So when Ricky talks, you got to listen to Ricky. Ricky knows a thing or two about a thing or two. Podcasts yeah, and, and TV so, and stuff. So do you want to get into this week's episode? Let's call him up. No, I'm not calling anybody anymore. Joining us on the podcast, please welcome Bull Taco Bill Snyder. There you go. Hello. Bull Taco Bill. That's me. That's the good looking doobler. But that's what my dad <laughs> says too. So <laughs> it's it's up to your interpretation, I guess. It must be true, right? <laughs> well, if I'm saying it, it must be. Hey, it's uh, it's obviously it's the youngest doubler that you know. What's going on? Not much, just hanging out. Well, I got I had we had to call you because I saw a, a video on social media this last weekend that uh, you're an a, you're an announcer now. So my question to you is, do I need to be worried about my job? No, sir, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how'd it go? It was okay that he races. They just gave me uh, the numbers of the guys out there and their names. But when it got to the finals, at least it got me a sheet that you could yeah. tell the guy's name, what kind of bike he was riding, where he was from, 
and how old he was. So it was a whole different thing than the heat race. But so the finals went pretty good. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing what little information that you get sometimes. You got, you kind of have to make make do with with what you can talk about, with what you know about those certain riders. But, you know, I was at a race last weekend in Wisconsin, and I probably knew 10 of the riders, and there's probably 80 riders there. So it's it's kind of hard, and just, just like you, at least I had, an, I had a number and a name. I had no hometowns. I had no motorcycles. So I was just kind of picking and choosing who I talk about. And if I knew what kind of motorcycle on, that was a bonus. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad you got to be an announcer though. I didn't, I, have you ever done that before? No, that's the first time. In fact, uh, I was just there to watch the races and they kind of volunteered me. Next thing I had about seven, eight guys come over and escort me over to the announcer's place. <laughs> you had a personal escort, huh? Oh yeah. They, they volunteered me. Wow. They volunteered. Did they pay you to do it or just, they just, Took you over no, there and parked you there. Just took me over there. Heck, it's just, you know, just a local amateur race of Jeeps, you know. It's just everybody's kind of pitching and helping. Yeah, I got you. So the the line I heard you say, and you're holding your cigar in one hand with the same hand as the microphone, and you said there are two types of racers, ones that race bull tacos and ones that wish they did. Did that just come That's to you right there, or is that the line that you've always used? That's the line I've used for 40 years. <laughs> I love it. I, I I don't think I've ever said that line over the microphone. I might have to try it someday. Maybe at a, maybe at a vintage race, I'll, I'll pull that one out of my back pocket. Can I can I use that one? Sure. I don't All have right. a patent. You can use it. <laughs> All right. That's good stuff. So let's back up to, I'm not going to go all the way back, but I just want to know how in the world did you get into motorcycles? Because as, as long as I've known you, that's actually where we met. And You've been racing motorcycles for probably longer than I've been alive. So how did you get into motorcycles? Well, you know, as a kid, 12 years old, 13 years old, you got to see some guys riding scooters. And I worked at a grocery store, and one of the guys there had a all-state moped. And it was so cool to watch him pedal it and get it started and go home where I had to get on my bicycle and go home. Yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden I could, ah, I want one of those. So that's fact basically wanted it and then when i turned 14 years old i bought a 50cc ducati falcon now hmm. i wanted one and my dad said told me said you can buy whatever you can afford yeah. well he really he really didn't think i'd save up enough money to buy a 50cc ducati falcon wow. but people don't realize realize you know back then it only cost like 345 dollars but i was only making 60 cents an hour Oh, so how how long did so that, you save up to get that first motorcycle? Oh, I saved up probably oh, six months, but I worked at Botker's IGA. That's my daytime job. Then I also threw Manhattan Mercury, you know, that's the paper here in town. Mm -hmm. And then I worked the football games and the basketball games selling soda pop and popcorn. So <laughs> I, I made as much money as I can make. You You were determined to get that motorcycle. That's that's exactly right, because I'm telling you, I was tired of pedaling the bicycle. <laughs> it's amazing. So you get your first motorcycle. How long after that before you decide you wanted to race motorcycles? Well, I wanted to race motorcycles, and uh, my, again, my dad says, you're not racing motorcycles, you know, as, as long as you're living here. And uh, <laughs> so I said, okay. So I checked in the apartment, but my mom wouldn't let me move into it. And then when I was 18 years old, I got my uh, an S90, and I took it down to Topeka and raced a scrambles track, uh, you know, because you go riding around with the guys in the woods and stuff all the time. So I took this S90 down there and entered the 100cc class. I got second place. Hmm. I got this little trophy made out of wood. It's painted black. Having it up on the mantle, I said, that's a $2 million trophy. He said, what do you mean? It's that's about how much money I've spent since I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? So from that yeah. moment, you were hooked on racing motorcycles. Yeah, I really like racing motorcycles. Plus, you got to remember, you know, I was 18 years old, and most of the guys racing motorcycles, they were full-grown men. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to be one of the full-grown men, you know, telling stories and drinking beer and hanging out with the guys and chasing the girls and just kind of have a good time. Tell me this, Bill. Are you better at telling stories? Or are you better at racing motorcycles? Because I think you're pretty damn good at both. 
Uh, I stand pretty good at both of them. <laughs> Have you ever gone back and counted how many races you've you've been to and, and raced in? Yeah, we kind of things is you count the day you raced or how many classes did you race on the day you raced. Right. So I figured I'd probably race the neighborhood of about three thousand. Is that three thousand races? Because I know like when whenever I first, you know, got when the VDTRA was around, Johnny Isaacs is, is his series. I was riding with Stoney and Pa, and we were getting to the races, and you were always at the races, and it seemed like you were always in three classes, like the 250, the 360, and the over 40 or over 50 or whatever class that might have been. So, you know, sometimes three classes a day, sometimes more. Is that 3,000 including that, or is that just 3,000 different races? Oh, you know, it's hard to keep track. Sometimes I'd race three classes. Sometimes I'd race two. Every now and then I'd race four. And then one time out in western Kansas, I raced five classes just to see if I could do it. Wow. Iron Man. That's why I have number four on my motorcycle. That's Lou Gehrig's baseball number, and he was called the Iron Man. Wow. That that was actually my next question. You know, watching you race, I knew you were either number one or number four. My question was going to be why you're number four. Obviously, you're number one because you won championships. But number four could for Lou Gehrig as the Iron Man. I love that. I I didn't know that was the reason uh, that you ran that number. Have you ever gone back and counted how many how many wins you have out of those three thousand? Well, let's put it this way: I had a guy named John Snyder from Tulsa, Oklahoma, call me, and he said, "Do you have any trophies you want to sell?" And I said, "Well, how many trophies do you want?" And he said, "Well, I don't know. I want quite a few of them." I said, "I got as many trophies as you want." And he said, how many do you want to sell? And I said, well, I'll sell you $500 worth, and yeah. be, I, guarantee, I guarantee you you'll get over 500 trophies. I said, I'm not going to sell you any of my plaques because yeah. they're easy to store. So he came up, and uh, I told him to bring up a big trailer. Well, his idea of a big trailer was 14 feet long and 8 foot wide. <laughs> so he came up with a trailer, and I said, they're not going to fit in there. So he gave me wow. the 500 bucks. And took off, and I said, you got to come get the rest of these trophies. Uh, he brought a, the same trailer. And I looked at him, I said, what part about all these trophies you don't think will fit in there? Oh, we'll get them in there this time. Well, uh-huh. he had trophies stacked up and down, laying everything else. Uh-huh. And, and still left about 45 trophies. And I'm going like, yeah, what do I do with these 45 trophies? I only kept two trophies. My first trophy and the 1973 when I won my first state championship trophy. And that's the only two I wanted to keep. About yeah. three weeks later, he called me up and he said, do you know how many trophies you sold me? I said, I don't have a clue. He said, 1,401. Wow. And I told him, I said, no, I sold you 1,451, but you left 25 of them, 30 of them here. <laughs> he didn't make the whole transaction. That's amazing, yeah. Bill. That is, that's a lot of trophies. Well, that doesn't count my 300 plaques I got on the wall. And that doesn't count where you went to the races on VDTRA, and I raced the pro classes, and they didn't give a trophy. They gave you money. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's just an amazing number uh, and so many trophies. Uh, I guess the next question for me is, why Bull Tacos? Ever, ever since I've known you, I, I, I'll get into the next question is about your Hondas. I know you had some really fast Hondas, too, but most of the time I've seen you racing on a Bull Taco. So what is it about Bull Tacos? Why did you race those? All right. When I got out of the service in 1970, I was going to come up to K-State, and I had money to buy myself a, a Corvette and, uh, you know, join a frat. And I got up there, and all my buddies were racing. And they said, oh, man, you can race some later on. You worry about the rest of the stuff. So I bought myself a brand-new El Camino and a set of leathers and everything and bought a Bull Taco because it was race-ready. You couldn't buy anything that was race-ready back there. Unless it was a bull taco, so I bought a bull taco bandito. That's what I started with. Mm-hmm. And so, so I had that bandito for a while, and uh, that's just that's how I started. I got around them bull tacos pretty soon. I figured them out, and I just kept with the bull tacos. When I had the Honda shop, I had the bull tacos. They also had those RS 600s, and uh, you know I sponsored a lot of national experts on those. So for a while, I had my bull tacos and I had my Hondas. I had to sell my Hondas when I got my hips replaced. Just too hard to get over, throw your leg over the seat, or why? What did you have to sell the Hondas to pay for the surgery? <laughs> pay for the surgery? Hell, I had full yeah. coverage insurance, and I still ended up owing five thousand uh, dollars. Oh it was gosh. unbelievable. 
It paid you know, full it, coverage insurance, and it didn't cover. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I remember your Honda as well. They were beautiful motorcycles, and I actually was honored that you uh, – I don't know if I asked you or you asked me, but my Rotax broke at Daytona. It was sputtering. I think, I think it was just a coil wire or something stupid, but we couldn't figure it out and couldn't fix it. And somehow I ended up riding one of your Hondas at the Daytona Short Track, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like a bull tackle. They handled real well. Honda made 10 HRC, Honda Racing Corporation, made 10 flat trackers. And I was a Honda dealer, and so I bought one. I got it. I loved it so much, I bought another one. They only made 10, mm. so I owned two out of 10. Well, so then I also bought a spare motor. So then I got a hold of the boys out in California and said, listen, I'd like you to make this frame for me, but you're going to have to modify it a little bit. I said, I want my motor a little farther forward, and I want it down a little bit, and I want it tilted forward a little bit. So Doug Swimmer said, no problem. So he built it for me, and I got that one. That was a blue one. And okay. uh, so at one time I had three of them. One of them was painted orange, one of them painted red, one of them painted blue. Yeah, I th- I think I rode the blue, and I'm trying to remember, right, but it's been such a long time I can't remember. What was your what was your best memory about being a, a team owner and, and having somebody ride for you? Do you have a favorite one that sticks out, one race? Well, it's probably the number one race is when Chris Armachuk rode for me out in Denver when they had that uh, when they had a 600 cc national you know, out there, mm-hmm. and uh, we we're racing against all the big boys. So I told Chris, I said my motorcycle is as fast as theirs, but uh, there's a big wind coming from the south, so we're going to gear this thing to go into the wind and sit down on the back straightaway. You're going to have to be careful because that's back in the days. They didn't have rev limiters, you know, that's back when right. you had to be smart enough to gear your motorcycle. Now mm. they just run until <laughs> we hit the rev limiter, probably because yep. they're too dumb to, to gear them. But anyway, so Chris got on the motorcycle in the main event, got a good start and got out front and going to the wind, he'd pull them, get through the corner on the back straightaway. We talked about it. And I said, when you get down to the shutoff point, just you know, shut it off and coast her on in there. And I said, those guys are going to get a run at you, but stay on the inside because they're not going to be able to stop. Hell, it was a 30-mile-an-hour wind. And I'm telling you what, I was never so nervous in my life as those guys are passing down the back straightaway and they just keep going. Then mm-hmm. he'd, he'd be underneath them and he'd pull them all down the front straightaway. We ended up winning that race. So wow. I felt pretty good. You know, Bill Snyder, a nobody from Kansas, beat all the big boys. Wow. But I, I, I remember that race and I, I mean, I don't think I made the main event that day or I don't even know if I, no, I didn't even have an expert license, but I remember racing the next day in Fort Morgan, Colorado, but I definitely was there. And, and I was, I was glad to see somebody from close by winning a big race like that. That's my biggest win. I've sponsored a lot of guys. At one time I had three guys entered at the short mm-hmm. track over at the uh, municipal stadium. And, um, all three of my bikes got in the same heat race. At least one of them would make it to the main event, which that's yeah. what happened. You're right. Yeah. It's tough when you got three guys yeah. out there and changing sprockets, and they all wanted the same sprockets, so you had to have three of everything, right? Well, I did have three. Three stacks of sprockets. I God, I can't believe. I must have had, must have had 12 wheels with tires on them. I remember going down to uh, Oklahoma City and uh, the Goodyear place, and I'm buying my tires 20 at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was not hard to go through 20 tires with those guys riding because they always, experts always want new tread. On a fresh edge. Every time you go out, got to have a fresh edge. Yeah, I explained to him. I said, you know, you're not going to get a fresh edge all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work out that way. Until you're a team owner and you're foot in the building, then you're like, oh, I, I don't have to have a fresh edge every time. Bill, have you ever counted how many Boltacos you've ever had, or, or do you know how many you have left? I'm down to one. I sold, you know, I sold them all. I mean, the, the Boltaco Astros are bringing a lot of money, so mm-hmm. I fixed them up, and they look really, really good. Back a long time ago, when it comes to the Astros, I'd use them and sell them for two thousand dollars because I thought, you know, I raise it for a year and sell it for two thousand dollars, buy another brand new and race for free, right? <laughs> well. Yep. I sold a lot of those used Botacos for two thousand eighteen hundred bucks, and uh, I wish I had them all back so I could sell them for ten thousand dollars now. Isn't that just crazy? Yeah, it really I, is. Last time I sold, I sold to uh, 
a guy down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it, I sold to him for ten thousand dollars. But it was, I mean, it was completely gone through. Yeah. And it was fat. It was beautiful. It's it's like a brand new 1975, if there is such a thing. I, I you know, just just grabbing a year out of out of thin air right there. But it's amazing. I think the first time I heard that was happening is when we had that uh, Spanish shootout up in, in Knoxville, Iowa, when somehow you let me win. I guess you felt sorry for me or something, but you let me win the race. And that bike I was riding was actually for sale. And when we got back, that bike went up to Wyoming. But when we got back, that the bike was sold a little over $10,000 to a, a gentleman down in Texas. And that was the first time I ever heard of a bull taco going for $10,000. Yeah, that's right. I went to number three, and you were just a little bit high, and I had a head of steam up. And I'm going in there. I said, "Guy, he's going to aim. I know exactly where he's going to go." I said, "If I keep the gas on, I think I can beat him there. And if I don't beat him there, I'll punt him into the cheap seats." Yeah. Then I got to think. <laughs> then I got to thinking, I'm going to have to fight about 20 dublers if I knock him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the whole the I, whole clan was there. I know. So, and sure enough, you aimed right for that spot, and I was on the inside. So you had about a bike length coming out number four. I mean, I. I pulled within about a foot and a half of you down the straightaway. Yeah, that was that was so much fun. I think that might have been the only time I ever raced with you. Typically, when I went to the races and you were there, you were usually racing against my grandpa, and I think you raced against my dad a little bit. But, you know, I've, I've never seen you do anything dirty, especially not to any of the doublers. And, and I just want to say thanks for not putting me in the cheap seats because, uh, you know, my, my dad would probably still be in jail for kicking your ass at the Knoxville Speedway. Well... He would be plenty mad, but uh, I don't think he could kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you guys debate that one. I'm, I'm going to stay out of that, okay? <laughs> yeah, I've raced, like I said, I've raced the whole clan one time or another. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe you have. I know I know you raced my dad, and I'm 1,000% sure you raced my, my, my grandpa, Pa, and, and I know you probably raced Joe somewhere down along the line, too, and probably my aunts, maybe. You know, you never know, but... Uh, I want to bring this up because you're from Manhattan, Kansas, right? Or that's where you live? Yeah, well, I was, uh, I've lived in Manhattan all my life. Okay. And the, the football team there is Kansas State. And if I'm not mistaken, the stadium's called the Bill Snyder Memorial Stadium. So is that because they, they named it after you, this big-time bull taco racer? That'd be something, wouldn't it? No, it's, <laughs> the, the football coach is Bill. His name was Bill Snyder. Okay, I just I just had to clarify that on, on you know get this on public record that we knew that was why. Uh, my next question, I guess, is what was it like being uh, one of the stars in that film that just came out not too long ago, Fast and Left? Well, I hadn't paid much attention. All of a sudden, it was out, and I'm all of a sudden I'm in his film, and I'm going like, well, this is kind of cool. I'll tell you something about that. I had got hurt two weeks before that. This guy, uh, I it was the first lap. And I passed him. I don't even mention his name, but I passed him on the outside because I need to in third. And I need to get past him so I get up and race the guy in first place. Because when you get them in short tracks, you don't have time to go through three or four guys. You know, you need to get it done now. So I passed him on the outside, and I went past him pretty fast. And I guess he thought he was going too slow, so he turned the gas back on. Mm-hmm. The weight transferred to the rear wheel. His front wheel got light, and he wiped me out. And so two weeks later, the race that you saw, I was racing there with cracked ribs, broken wrist, broken thumb. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to do something with this ankle too. Everything hurt, but I think, I was thinking, this ankle's pretty serious. This might be my last race. So normally on a bull taco, you don't come off the line like you would like a Japanese motorcycle. You don't shift like a Japanese motorcycle. Because you got to, you know, basically pull everything in the gear. You got to be real careful. You got to be deliberate. Well, mm-hmm. I told myself this might be my last race period. So the flagman flinched. I was gone. Mm-hmm. I got in front. I went two laps, get my tires warmed, and then if you notice, you know, right after that, I pulled away from everybody. And then I got to the last two laps. Okay, you're still in front. Don't blow it. You know. So mm-hmm. the last two, I slowed down a little bit. When I say slow down a little bit, I just didn't miss my marks, you know, and I didn't push it real hard and got first place. So I felt yeah. pretty good about that. I just basically outsmarted my competition. 
Yeah. But it was so cool to come up there for that for the movie, uh, you know, debut, the premiere. And, you know, I brought Carter up from Florida and, and Stoney came up with us. We went up there and checked it out. And, man, that made us if it, it made it made you and, and, and uh, some of those other local guys to be bigger than the world. You know, he did such a good job with that movie. I, I love every second of it. Evan did a great job with that movie, did a great job. In fact, he put another film together for Harley Davidson about the XR750. Have you seen it? Yeah, that one's awesome, too. We were, I was actually, I, I was going to maybe try to voice it, and he found somebody that did 1,000 times better than I could ever do. But, uh, yeah, that, that movie is amazing as well. He's very talented. Yeah, he's, he's real good. So, I, and speaking of Evanson, I heard that you were kind of coaching him with some riding skills and he might race here real soon. Well, he's nice thing about Evan, and I've coached a lot of riders. Nice thing about Evan, he had no bad habits to break. So, I, he did everything I asked him to do. You know, he's coming along. He's uh, yeah. still can't get over. It's, it's the only thing he lacks right now, he's got to realize he's got to learn to lean on that front tire and scuff a little speed off and learn to steer with the front tire. And he's just not quite there yet, but it's coming. I would say it won't be too long before he'll be ready to rock and roll that little motorcycle he's got. Yeah. He said he, he said he's thinking about it. The next race up there at Jeeps, he might give it a shot. So uh, I'm sure we'll have to check in and, and I'm sure uh, you'll be out there giving him some pointers and, and uh, hopefully he does well. Oh, I'm sure he will. Cause he's, he listens. I don't have to fight him. There you go. I've got I've got stories I want I want to hear. Uh, the first one is the nickel story. Okay, that that's a good one there. I was stationed up at Iceland at H two. That's a remote communication site. That's on the northeast peninsula of Iceland. This is why I was in the service. And there's like um, twenty six guys up there, and that included a, a few of the Air Force guys that did weather check. So anyway. They had this old chief up there. He's no alcoholic. And uh, the only guy I ever heard of that actually extended more time in Iceland, which is nuts. But anyway, I'd go drinking, and beers up there were 20 cents. You'd always get a nickel back. If you have a beer, you get a nickel back. You know, so at the end of the day, I'd have a few nickels left over. So I'd just go, they had a little slot machine. They had nickel, two nickel machines. Uh, two dime machines and two quarter machines. And this old chief, he ran them. So I go into my nickels and I just play them, you know. And if I won something, fine. If I didn't, that's fine too. Well, one day I went in there and I had a couple nickels and I hit the jackpot, the mm. big jackpot. And so I went, all right. So I told the chief, I said, hey, I want it. And, of course, he didn't like that. He didn't like the idea of me, you know, winning and leaving or just playing five or six nickels, you know, mm-hmm. but this was the big one. So in his infinite wisdom, he decided to pay me in nickels. Uh-huh. I said, come on, Chief, that's, that's two big bags of nickels. And he said, well, you don't have to take them, but uh, if you want them, you play nickels, you're going to get paid in nickels. So I went down to my room and I thought, that son of a bitch, what can I do to get back at him? So then I decided I'm going to collect all the nickels. Remember this remote communication site. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't hard to capture all the nickels. So beers for 20 cents, you got a nickel back. So I started buying nickels from everybody I knew there in the barracks. Pretty soon, I'm going to condense this a little bit, pretty soon I had all the nickels at H2. In fact, they raised the price <laughs> of beer to a quarter because they couldn't make change. <laughs> and I even had the commander of the base where we were at, he'd come down and ask if I could get the, get the nickels back. Because, I mean, they couldn't make change anywhere. And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to as long as the chief apologized for paying me in nickels. Well, there hell, he was no life. He wasn't about to do it. So, all right, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So then they went down the main base and got a bunch of nickels, brought them up to Iceland. Meanwhile, I'm still collecting nickels. So after a while, I got all the nickels in Iceland. You know, there might have been a few out there, but basically... No nickels. I went down to main base for a three-day R&R. I went over to the bank to see if they had any nickels. The lady over said, well, I can sell you, you know, five nickels for a quarter, but that's all you're going to get. So then I realized I got all the nickels in Iceland, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> so now it's time for me to, to leave Iceland. 
you know, it's coming up in about another month. So I ordered, you know, a Minolta SRT 101 camera, and a, I bought a set of binoculars, and I bought a Weatherby Magnum through the exchange. So I just went over there and paid in nickels. Oh. I bought all that and paid the nickels. Meanwhile, before that, they'd gone back to the United States and brought up, you know, thousands of nickels. <laughs> so they were talking about me everywhere. So I paid in all these nickels. Well, I had so many nickels, they couldn't even keep them in the safe. So I paid all the nickels. And I remember the commanding officer telling the yeoman, he said, God, I'm glad Snyder's leaving. He's made a lot of trouble up here. <laughs> all over some nickels. Yeah, all the nickels. But anyway, that's when I learned, you know, you, you could uh, control them all. And that's when yeah. the Hunt brothers, later on, you know, they got all the, the silver they they kind of did what I did, except on a larger scale. Mine were just nickels. You know, they did yeah. millions of dollars. That's but I always awesome. thought, I tell everybody, I said, well, I taught the Hunt brothers how to do it. <laughs> you you started it. You started a trend. So that brings us to our next story. There's also a dime story, and I'm dying to hear this one. The dime story? What's that one? I don't know. I heard there's a nickel story, and then there's a dime story. So I don't know. Well, the dime story is just that. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's awesome. I love it. I love it, Bill. Uh, so did you buy all that stuff from the commissary, like the, the military, on the military base, so it all was stuck with them? Or did you, have, did you go to a real store to buy all that stuff? No, no, no. Up where we were at, you know, they, you, you go to the little commissary. And let me tell you what, it was small. But they got catalogs, you know. Remember, you're stationed at a remote communication site in Iceland. You don't have anything to do. You put in your time, and then you read the catalogs, or you go play a little bit of uh, basketball in the gymnasium or play ping pong. I got to be a heck of a good ping pong player. But yeah. anyway, you know, so I wanted a 270 Weatherby Magnum forever, so I ordered one. And, uh, they, you know, you can get it and then have it all shipped back to the United States. So <laughs> when I left there, I ordered all the stuff I wanted. I bought a a Minolta uh, SRT single reflex camera, SRT 101 or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I used it. And then I also bought an Akai M8 tape recorder. But I bought that. Oh, yeah. I remember buying that. I bought that with dimes. That must be the dime story. <laughs> but anyway, I bought that with dimes because the guys were saying, you want to collect the dimes? I said, well, not really. So I ended up with a bunch of dimes, you know, not that many, maybe $100 worth of dimes. Yeah. But I remember buying that, that, uh, S, that uh, Akai M8 with dimes. That's that crazy. Dime. Probably so, probably so, because there was nobody, no, no other nickels left, so they started <laughs> selling you dimes and stuff. Well, I just, you know, everybody, all the guys kind of helped me till the price of the beer went to a quarter, and then they were real happy. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't blame them. So the next thing up is Graham's question. Wait, this is right before we wrap things up. But Graham's question, uh, she said, you wore your body out. What are you going to do in your slowdown days? Well, I bought, I sold my, you know, a big log house I owned. Mm -hmm. I, sold my, I sold my log house and I bought a trailer because, you know, that big old house, 3,200 square foot house and three car garage was just financially killing me by the time I paid my personal property tax and put insurance on it, paid the utilities. So every year I had to put more money in the, the bank account, so to speak. So I had a house that was paid for. Next thing you know, I, I owed like $65,000 on a house that was paid for. So I just sold the house, mm -hmm. bought the trailer, but I bought myself a big RV, an older one. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... That way I can go see part of the United States. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do, too? I sold my Subaru Forester, which, by the way, that's the best car in the whole world. If you've never driven one or been in one, mm -hmm. you wouldn't understand. Okay. I sold that. So I bought myself a 2001 Buick LeSabre Limited with that little 3.8 motor. That thing gets 30 miles a gallon at 70 miles an hour. Wow. People don't seem to realize. I don't know why they still don't make that 3.8 liter motor. I don't know. But that's so now I've got myself I'm down to one Bull Taco. Um still got all my trailer and all my stuff that goes with it. 
Mm-hmm. And then I got my, the Buick in my RV. So I plan on putting my little trailer behind my RV. And like this weekend, I went down to Wichita to watch the races, but I didn't, you know, I'm still trying to get my balance back. You got to remember, I had a total ankle replacement, which is uh, a little bit different. That's where they basically cut your foot off, mm-hmm. put a piece of aluminum in, or stainless steel on the top, put a stainless steel thing looks like a lollipop up in your bone. Ugh. And then when you walk, it just kind of slides on that piece of uh, stainless steel. You know, they got to break the bone. And so the doctor said it'd take 12 to 16 months to heal. And I thought he's going to And so now I've got over 11 months in. It just was in the last month that I can walk halfway decent. You know, I'm still not walking good, but it's, it's healing up. Then I need to race one more time this year so I can say I raced in seven different calendar decades. Wow. So you're you're trying to one-up Mr. Ronnie Jones, I guess. He's he's trying to put it in the main event in six different decades, and he, I think he's going to do it this year, but you've got a whole another decade on top of that. Yeah, by the time he gets my age, he'll he'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be done before he gets up there, Bill. I promise you that. So I think, I think he's going to race this year, and that might be it for him, but uh, it's time for the to uh, wrap up our, our podcast. We do rapid-fire questions, so I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you these next few questions. Are you ready? All righty. All right. What's your favorite bike you've ever ridden besides a Bull Taco? My RS600 Hondas. Okay. What's your favorite racetrack? Canopolis. It's a scrambles really? track. It's three-quarters of a mile around. It's got 13 different corners, and the reason I like Canopolis is 90% of the people out there racing can't turn to the right. Well, I can turn to the right better than I can turn to the left. Hmm. So it's nice going to a track that's that big that you're fast enough you can pass everybody in the right-hand corner, you know? Mm -hmm. I just ruled Canopolis forever. All right. I guess I didn't know that story. That's pretty cool. Who is your favorite flat tracker of all time? Dick Man. Okay. What's a better you flat know why? Tra- no, tell me tell yeah. me why. I went to Dodge City back in nineteen sixty five to watch the races. And all these guys are working on the bikes and there's this little guy over there and he's sitting there with his big sombrero on. And I looked and this this woman was working on his motorcycle. Come to find out that was his wife you know, changing gears. I thought, now that's the way to do it. Sit back and race and have your wife or girlfriend change your gears. Yeah. So after that, he became my hero. After I got to know him a little better, he really became my hero. He's a hell of a good ambassador for motorcycle racing. That's great. That's great. What's the, uh, what's a better flat track film on any Sunday? Aston left. Oh man, that's a toss up. You can't, that's like, choose what's your favorite child. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I knew that was going to be a tough one for you. We can just leave it at that. We'll we'll give you the politician's answer on that one because they're both amazing and and they're just you know from different eras, but they both do the same thing. They draw you into our sport. Yeah. See, Evan did an excellent job. I mean, Bruce Brown, he had all those high dollar people, you know, and he got to edit and spent years doing it. Evan did that whole thing you know, like in a couple of months. Like Evan, is, he did a a tremendous job tremendous job i agree i agree wholeheartedly uh who's your favorite person to go bench racing with anybody that drink beer with me all right (laughs) um the next one i don't know are are you following the grand national circuit at all right now do you keep track with american flat track a little bit yeah it's you know i don't i don't have the computer that i need so I, i can't watch them all Okay. But, uh, you know, I've, I've watched all I can. I just got, what was it, yesterday we got to watch the, the race up in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And what, what I, something about that, it doesn't show how fast those guys are going or how yeah. close they are to Yeah, I, I think you they know? need some more speed shots, like when they go across the start-finish line, and it's just a blur when they go past you because you're right. It just looks like they're going slow. And I guess I kind of relate it to, like, when I watch a NASCAR race, it's not the same as being there either, but I don't know how else to do it other than maybe have a camera pointing straight where they go past you at the speed that they're going. 
I think what they need to do is, you know, those little, uh, uh, those little helicopters, you know, they fly around. What do they call mm-hmm. those? The drones. Those little, yeah, they go over your head, you know, and they take yep. pictures and all that stuff. They yep. need to get one of those above one of those racers and kind of be right there in the middle of the pack with them. And then people understand how fast they go and how close together they are. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be crazy. I like it. So I brought that question up because I want to know what current rider right now do you think maybe fits your kind of riding style? Is there one out there? No, because these guys now they've got, they're riding four strokes. They don't, you know, they're fast. Don't get me wrong by any chance, but they've never raced on a motorcycle. Then they have any horsepower. Mm-hmm. You know, I raced that full taco and it's got what? 30 horsepower. Right. So you have to race that whole different way than I was racing my RS 600s An RS 600. You can race that motorcycle and you can scuff speed off the front tire and then you can steer with the rear tire. You can't steer a bull taco with the rear tire. Doesn't have any horsepower. Right. So it's a, it's a whole different thing. I'm surprised that more of the, of course, when you get to the grand nationals or you get to the fast boys there, they've learned to scuff a little speed off the front tire, but there for a while, they didn't seem to be able to scuff enough. The old guys that had no brakes at all, mm-hmm. hell, the only way they could slow down a scuff speed off of the front tire. Right. That's how things have changed, you know, from, from with no brakes up to two strokes, you know, with no compression to slow you down. You really had to ride the thing with the front wheel and stuff like that. And now they use the rev limiter and, and they jam on the brakes. You know, it's just, it's gone through a bunch of different cycles. Um, I, I got one question that for you is, is one that we borrowed from Dave to Spain. Uh, and I'd like to know, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Well, I'd say just being a member of the flat track community because it's like a big family. You know, after a while, you, and you've done it, after a while you get to know everybody. You get to know the moms and the dads and, you know, who are the good guys and who are the guys that are kind of butts, you know. But, but it, in general... The flat track's like a big family. Just like any other big family, you're going to have some problems. But it's nice to go to the races. It's like going to a family reunion. Yep, every weekend. Every weekend. That's right. And then I'd like like going down and helping some guy that needs a little bit of help. But every now and then you get those guys that look at you like, what the hell do you know? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) I forgot more than you've ever learned. That's right. That's right. And before we let you go, would you like to say thanks to anybody? Well, of course, you know, the thing is, oh, I want to thank mom and dad, grandma and grandma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've heard of that about a zillion times. But I'd like uh-huh. to thank all the people that are out there putting these races on, from the person that's scoring to the flagman to the corner workers to everybody that's out there because people don't realize what a big job it is. When I was doing the announcements last weekend, I'm telling you what, everybody was busy. You've been there, and they're hustling, trying to get it done. You know, without them, without good people, nothing to get done. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of those people are doing it just because they love the sport, not because they're trying to make money. You know, I mean, promoters are risking their necks every, every, every race. You got corner workers, and you got you, – there's tons of people, staging people, and a lot of people forget about the, the little people behind the scenes, and, and they do it because they love the sport and they want it to keep going. Yeah, they really do. The only thing I've disappointed with the last few years is that Daytona Motor Group is, God, they're doing their best they can to screw it up. You know, I wish they'd just go back. I hate to say it, but I wish they'd go back to the old format where you had novice juniors and experts. Yep, and I, I would like to see heat races, and if you can't make it out of the heat race, a semi and a main event, and even maybe throw a dash for cash in there. So I would like to see that format come back myself. Well, my deal is, is you could be the fast local kid, and you can't go to a Grand National and get a chance to to race the big boys. they got it set up where you can't do it. Right. You, you ride the 450 you know, class, and, and you get there, and you get to run one semifinal, and then you go home if you don't make it in the top eight spots. I know. And they're still racing them damn motocross frames. You know, mm-hmm. I don't understand that. I don't see Yamaha or Honda, Suzuki or any of those guys pitching in a lot of money for the prize money. You know, they said, oh, we're going to get a lot of stuff from They've never done. Honda did one year where they had the Honda bucks. I think they did that for a while. And Suzuki yep. had a thing. But 
that was a long time ago. I'm all for going back flat track frames. Yeah, make the real race race bikes, you know, framers, yeah. and, and do what you want to do, have different frame companies out there, and let's get back to the grassroots. You know, if you want to frame, flat track frame now, you only have about three choices. There's yep. only about three people making frames now. That's and right. When I was younger, there must have been a dozen. Yeah. Yep, you know, things I, have I, definitely changed. Yeah, they got now they've got that super twins and the pro twins. Well, my deal is call them juniors and call them experts. Mm-hmm. I love it, Bill. You know, all this you change the names and uh, it's just just like that one year they changed everybody's number. You know, you got the number that you got the year before. Boy, that screwed everybody up. You remember that? Yep, that messed everybody up, you know, because you couldn't remember who anybody was because all the national numbers were full and everybody had a different number the next year. That was the damnedest thing I ever saw. I went, what yeah. jerk put that together? <laughs> that, that had to have been expensive because everybody has to get new leathers and new number plates and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and then when you go out there, well, I'm rooting for, wait a minute, that's not him. Well, I'm rooting <laughs> for, well, that's not him. Who yeah. the hell are these people? <laughs> Like when I was announced, I did fine in the pro classes because I know most of the guys. Right. And I did fine in the vintage classes and the old guy classes because I knew everybody. But if you think I know those mini bike riders, there's no way. Right. You know? Yep. That one, that, that one class, I looked at it, and I counted up their age. You know, and there's anywhere from five years old to seven. And I'm yep. going, man, them kids ought to be playing with G.I. Joe instead of racing motorcycles. But yeah. that's, my, that's my personal opinion. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, change is tough, but we're hoping it all shakes out and we get a place that we can all enjoy this, this sport that we love. Bill Snyder, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm glad to call you my friend. I'm, uh, I, I again want to say thanks for that lighter that you gave me after you let me beat you up there in Knoxville at the uh, Spanish shootout. And uh, anytime I see you, it's always a good time. And, and thanks for your time here on our podcast. Well, you know why I gave you that lighter? Because you felt sorry so for me? Always, you know why I gave you that lighter? Tell me. So you always, you always remember that I let you win. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I just said. I haven't forgot I it, man. It, I never that's, will. That's, that's why I gave you the lighter, so you can't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Bill Snyder, thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Catch you later, Scotty. See you. Bye. I got a feeling that that guy's got about a hundred more stories that nobody's heard, and I want to hear them all. I do too. I think I think I've heard a lot of them because I've been around Bill a long time. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a lot more that I haven't heard. That uh, that nun story is something else. I don't know if I'm. <laughs> it might not make the episode, so if it's not in the episode, you guys need to look it up. Um, Reach out to Evan Sen. I think he actually posted a video at some point with the nun story. Really? All yeah, right. It's... <laughs> it's a little on the edge. I forgot what it was about, and then when we asked him, I was like, oh, shit, yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Wow. That dude's a legend, for sure. He's uh, he's definitely been around a track or two. Um, and I uh, hope he gets back out and races again. It doesn't sound like he's uh, his ankle's up for it right now, though. So um, I, I'm pretty sure he's all done racing. Yeah, yeah. He's got one bull taco, though, so you he never does. know. He does. He does. He definitely. Oh, no, he said he wanted to make it to the seventh decade. Right. That's the seventh I, decade. I, I, I so he, he gets he's going to race one more time. Yeah, yeah that's good yeah. stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to talk to him and kind of get a, a perspective of, of an old-school racer. Uh, you know, I don't think he, he ne- ever had a national number, right? Like, he never... I don't think so. I don't remember. Yeah. We, and we didn't even ask him that. But yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember him ever having one. But, but as far still, as I can remember, he's either number one or number four. And that's why I asked him that question. Yeah, that's good so. stuff. Yeah, and he's still a legend regardless. I mean, um, just somebody that's raced that long with uh, that much experience on the track and uh, knowledge about bull tacos. I, I love listening right, to him. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, it's cool, yeah. To, cool to talk to him and uh, hear what he's got going on nowadays. And uh I'm sure we'll see him at a track still here and there. Um, but yeah, it's it's good stuff. Nothing else going on? Just hanging out. Nothing? That's it. Maybe we got to make something happen out there. If you guys know any cool stuff going on in Wisconsin, shoot us well, a message. It's, what? 
our patrons can do that, but the people that are going to be listening to the podcast are going to get this on Friday and we're already be at Dairyland. That's so. fine. We still got two more days okay. out there. There'll be stuff to do. All right. We're going to be at the racetrack when you're here the whole time. That's fair. Except for Thursday. Thursday is our play day. I love it. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to having fun out there in Milwaukee at the Dairyland and my first road race. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. That's a wrap from 189, man. Thanks to all our patrons. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks to all of our followers. Smash that like button. Tell all your friends about our podcast. Leave us some feedback on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. We definitely appreciate it. And we're going to have some fun this weekend. Tune in on Left Out to catch up all the information and all the fun stuff that we're doing up there at the Dairyland Classic and at Road America. Peace. Later. Yes, sir. That one was fun. <laughs> Episode 189. We don't know how to start the show. Me. I'm trying to cram a whole work, week's worth of work well, in three days. I'm glad, so. you mowed, I'm glad you mowed your yard today. Got yeah. Done. Got home, interviewed Bill Gailey, mowed my yard, doing the intro outro, and editing two podcasts tonight. Maybe what, three. What else you got to do? Maybe three.